you can plan out, I suppose, the, the, the perfect album release and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it just finds its way to total chaos, which is the Japandroid's way. Yeah. 93X presents the Celebration Rock Podcast with Stephen Hyden. This is the Celebration Rock Podcast, presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. We are back. Back and in charge. I think it's been five months since we were back to regularly scheduled programming. We had one episode at the end of December, uh, sort of a little outlier episode. But now we are going to be back every week here with Celebration Rock. And I could not be more excited... My paternity leave is over. My daughter, she just turned four months old, which means that she is out of the house now. She's looking for apartments. I've done my job as a dad raising her, so I can now return to one of my other babies, which is this podcast. And uh, I am so thrilled that our first podcast back is with none other than Japan Droids. Yes, the band that lent its album title to this podcast. They are finally going to be on, or at least one Japan droid is. Brian King is a guest on today's episode. And, you know, in a way, I feel like this should be the last Celebration Rock. Even though we're just coming back, you know, we've achieved singularity by booking Japan droids finally on this podcast. But, you know, we're not going to stop because we have... Already a bunch of, frankly, amazing episodes planned and in the can and ready to go uh, for this season. Starting next week on March 13th, we're going to be doing this series on one band. We're going to be doing seven episodes. Some weeks we're going to be doubling up. So for a lot of these upcoming weeks, you're going to be getting two Celebration Rock episodes. I know, it's going to be amazing. After not giving you guys anything for five months, we're going to be loading you up here in the weeks ahead. And the band that we're going to be talking about is none other than Pearl Jam. Of course, Pearl Jam is being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in April. And uh, we thought it would be a fun thing to sort of look at one band, go throughout their career, you know, go album by album, and try to figure out, like, why is this band important? Why do people care about this band? And with you know, it seemed like a good first band to do that with was Pearl Jam because of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and also because Pearl Jam's had an interesting career. So we're going to be doing that. It's called Vitalogyology. It starts March 13th, and uh, I'm really excited about that. But but before we get to that, we have Japan Droids this week, which is going to be an awesome episode. And before we get to Japan Droids, I have to give a shout out to this week's sponsor, which. Uh, it's it's our old friends at Harry's, and uh, you know if if you've ever seen a picture of me, uh, you know you know you know I have a beard, but you could probably guess that I'm like a swarthy guy. You know I have, I have to shave around my beard, or else I'm like a wolf man, like 
like person. So I need good razors. You know, I have to shave a lot, um, which is why I've been a big proponent of Harry's because number one, the razors are outstanding. Inside one razor, you get five German-engineered blades. Yes, the Germans have engineered this, so you know it's good. You have the lubricating strip. You have the flex hinge for a comfortable glide. You have the ergonomic handle, so you're not going to get, you know, your hand's not going to be deformed from shaving. It's an amazing thing. So not only is it a great razor, but it's also, like, super cheap. Like, if you're going to the drugstore, you're going to be paying, like, four, five, six, seven bucks. For Harry's, it's two bucks. And if you're even cheaper than that, okay, I've got a special deal for you. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they want you to try their most popular trial set for free. In this set, it comes with a razor handle of your choice, the five-blade German-engineered cartridge, and the shaving gel. And it's free when you sign up, and you just pay a, a minuscule fee for shipping. Uh, and to redeem this offer, all you do is go, you go to harrys.com backslash rock. Again, that's harrys.com backslash rock. And you're going to get these super cheap razors. And not only that, if you enter in that promo code, Harry's will know that you listen to this podcast. And it will help support what you're listening to. So you get great razors, you support a great podcast, everybody wins. So again, that's harrys.com backslash rock. Speaking of rock, my guests today are the creators of Celebration Rock, the original Celebration Rock, Japan Droids. Um, Japan Droids, of course, they put out a record in January called Near to the Wild Heart of Life. Um, it's, an early, you know, it's early in the year, so you don't want to make you know, too big of proclamations at this point. But if you're into rock records, if you're into uplifting anthems, this record is setting the pace, I think, for the rest of the year. This is going to be a hard record to top. Um, and, you know, it wasn't easy for Japan Droids to make this record. This was their first record in, like, almost five years. So there was a lot of expectations. Uh, you know, people that love Celebration Rock. The people that know that record really love that record. So to follow it up and to take so long doing it, you know, the expectations were high. And I know when that record came out, there were people that maybe had mixed feelings about it because it's not just Celebration Rock Part 2. You know, there's a lot of slower songs on that record. There's a lot of sort of ballady songs almost. Uh, there's a song on there called Arc of Bar, which you heard at the top of this episode, which uh, is a seven-minute song, which is like almost unheard of in Japan Droid's world. Um, and uh, to me, it sounds like Bob O'Reilly. You know, it has that feel to it. I've heard people compare it to New Order, which makes sense. Um, but I know when some Japan Droids fans heard that song, they weren't quite sure of it. Um, you know, because it wasn't Younger Us, or it wasn't The House That Heaven Built. Uh, but here we are, you know, it's a couple months later, and my sense is that people have finally come around in this record and have realized the genius of it. The other thing, too, is that Japan Droids are on the road right now, touring with Craig Finn, uh, one of the great rock and roll tours of the year. Um, I saw them in Minneapolis on Valentine's Day, and uh, it was a phenomenal show. Uh, the songs, the new songs, uh, I thought were, were just fantastic, and they really kind of meshed well with those Japan Joyce classics from Celebration Rock and Post Nothing. I mean, the other reason I love that show, of course, is that I got to interview Brian King before the gig. We ended up talking on the, the Japan Joyce tour bus. And, you know, this was only the second date 
of the band's tour. So, you know, if you're not familiar with rock bands on the road, you know, it is, it is a hard life. I mean, playing shows is an amazing thing, and, you know, that's what bands look forward to all day long. But, the, you know, the traveling, the eating, you know, the weird schedule, it, it can be exhausting. So when I met up with Japan Droids, you know, they were still adjusting to that. You know, I mean, they're going to be probably touring throughout 2017. And I would imagine that at this point, they're probably up to fighting shape. But, you know, early in the tour, they were still adjusting. So, like, when I got on the tour bus, you know, I was supposed to interview Brian and also David, who's the drummer. And uh, David was, like, passed out <laughs> in the back of the bus. He was tired. He had to take a nap. You know, they, they played their first gig of the tour in Madison the night before. And uh, he was exhausted. So, you know, Brian was apologetic, but he's like, you know, my dude has to take a nap. So, it's just going to be me. So that was cool, you know, I get on the bus and, you know, the, the thing with Japan Droids is that they're Canadian, so they're very nice and very polite, and I could tell that Brian was a little anxious about being a good host when I was on the bus, like, he spent like five minutes trying to find the light switch, because it was very dark on the bus, I guess because they were like trying to relax before the show, but he wanted to make sure that I was comfortable, and, uh, which was touching to me, you know, because I was really excited. I mean, I've never, I'd never interviewed Japan Droids before, and of course I'm a fan of the band. I named my podcast after one of their records. Um, I really like their new record. Um, and sometimes when you interview bands, you know, there's this sort of aloofness that goes on. There's sort you know, and I think it's because a lot of musicians are uncomfortable around journalists, not necessarily because they're arrogant or anything, but I, there was none of that with Brian. He was just a guy. He was the kind of guy that, like, if you saw him at a bar sitting by himself, you could sit next to him and you'd be having a conversation like he was your lifelong friend within probably five, ten minutes. And that's how it was with me and him. I mean, it was a really good conversation. You know, he, he poured himself a mezcal. He poured me a beer. And we just sat down and we talked about the new record. We talked about the band. We talked about the weirdness of touring in America right now uh, under the shadow of this insane administration that's in power right now. Um, I won't say the T word here in the introduction, uh, but you all know who I'm talking about. Um, it was a great conversation. It was really wide ranging. We talked for about an hour, um, and uh, I think it I think it'll be really illuminating for fans of the band. So, uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Brian King of Japan Droids. This is actually quite a bit calmer than than yesterday. I don't actually remember having an hour to just sit down and hang out yesterday, so. Well, I mean, cause you did some dates in the in the fall, like, you know, those were your first shows in a long time, but I mean, like, I guess this is like the first kind of full-fledged, on-the-road, like, here-we-go type tour. Yeah, this is the first kind of, like, real tour, I guess you could say, you know, where you're uh, playing every night and theoretically getting a little bit better every night and, and uh and kind of going city to city across the country. The, the the other tours that we did last year were, they were kind of more designed to, uh, well, first kill time in between when you hand your record in and when it actually comes out. Right. Um, you know, uh, in, reintroduce people to the band, play again, to get just get used to playing. You know, there were a lot of small shows and they were very sporadic, so you're kind of playing over here and then a week later you're playing here and then a week later you're playing here, that kind right. of thing. And so you're just trying to kind of like get back into it in kind of like a fun, cool way. And of course, play some of the new songs for the first time. And it's a very different kind of 
tour. It's a kind of, uh, on the one hand, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's really fun to bounce around in that way. You know, you're flying around and all that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, you're not really playing every night. Right. So it's almost like, you know, you play some shows, you kind of start getting in this groove, and then uh, you don't play for a week. So you kind of like, then you start again. And yeah, then yeah. you take another week off, and then you start again. And so uh, this is actually, the, this will be the first time where we kind of start to, like we played last night, and now we're playing again tonight. Now we play Chicago tomorrow night. And, and theoretically, um, you know, it should get a little bit better every time. We should start to get tighter and get more comfortable and just kind of like, you know, put on a better and better show until the uh the apex of the tour whenever that is <laughs> so. well, i know like you, you were saying like on those early like those shows last uh, fall you know you played some new songs like i know arc of bar you played mm -hmm. and and no known drink no known drug and, and like those songs ended up online like immediately like someone sh shot youtube videos like were you happy about that or was it sort of like oh i, I wanted people to hear the record first it's, it's honestly something that never crossed our mind until the morning after the very first show in vancouver and so we had this, the general idea was we're going to play a bunch of shows and, um, you know, by the time we get to this point right now where we actually start touring the record, the record's out, we're going to be touring for real. We wanted to kind of have everything dialed in, you know, like we wanted to have played the new songs many times and we wanted to feel like when we played the new songs next to the old songs, they felt just as, you know, just as good. And... So the idea was we were going to rotate in these new songs over all these shows, and and um, and it occurred to us after the very first show that if we actually did that, the whole record would be on YouTube <laughs> uh, three or four months or whatever it was before it actually came out. And we were like, wow, you know, like all of these people that really love the band, that are dying to this new stuff, they're going to hear the record in YouTube form like for two months before they really hear the, you know, hear the album. And, and so then it became very quick, it, we, very quickly it was like, okay, well, we should stick to performing a few and leave the other ones for, yeah. for um, kind of for this tour. Like, let's wait until the record comes out. Let's, let's make it, make some of them a surprise, like a total surprise, I guess you could say. And, right. and that's actually what we're doing right now. We've been, we just started playing a couple of other songs like, um, uh, there's a song on a record called uh, True Love and a Free Life of Free Will. Yeah. There's a song called uh, In a Body Like a Grave. Those ones we weren't playing last year. So there we're, we're sort of just learning to, you know, play them, play them live right now, specifically because it, you know, it should be kind of, they should be sort of fun and new to people, right. theory. And we also had this really bold idea at our very first show after three years in Vancouver. We were going to open with Arc Bar, which was... We, we thought this is going to be like one of those really cool, bold rock and roll moves. Like we haven't played in three years and we're going to come back in our hometown and just open with uh, the most different song that we, that we could put in the set. And, and um, it wasn't until I think that we were about to go on stage that we realized how nervous we really were, you know, like, like, and I don't mean like this is a big show kind of thing. I mean like, like rem reminiscent of our very first time performing in front of people like like I don't know how to do this like, or I can't do this or something like that and and um and uh we played it anyways 
and uh, we were so nervous, and we'd never played it before, and it turned, it was not, you know, in retrospect, it wasn't the smartest move. <laughs> and then, of course, the next day it was on YouTube, like, you know, Japandroids debuted this new seven-minute song, and we just had our, you know, just thinking, like, oh, Christ, like, couldn't possibly think that that was something that was going to happen. And, um, you know, we were talking about how, you know, the very first time we play it at our very first show in three years is probably the worst we're ever going to play it. It's only going to get better than that. And yet that's the YouTube video that's posted all over that people are judging, you know, the new material by. And it was like, ah, we suck at this. Like, we have no, you know. Uh, anyway, so, you know. But that's also part of the fun. It's just like there's a, there's like a, um, you know, you can plan out, I suppose, the, the, the perfect album release and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it just finds its way to total chaos, which is the Japandroids way. Yeah. So... I mean, that really does seem like the centerpiece song on the record. I mean, it's in the middle of the record, so it's literally the centerpiece. But uh, I don't know. To me, that's like the mind-blowing song on the record. And I'm really excited to hear it live in person tonight. I mean, the first time I heard it, like I guess on that shitty like live yeah. version that you played, which I thought was awesome. I I thought that live version was great. I mean, I thought like the Japan Droids have written their Who's Next song. Like this mm. just sounded like, you know won't get fooled again or like eminence front or something like that i mean w when you did that like when you guys were working on that was there a feeling of like oh we're really stepping outside of the celebration rock template what people are going to expect from us i mean like, how deliberate was that when you were doing that i mean we never we never had the intention to kind of um to move away from the celebration rock sound like because we thought it would be um because we thought it would be like a a cool move or a controversial move or like this is what we were supposed to do i think we just were at that point we'd we'd by the end of celebration rock we'd kind of settled into a songwriting formula there was a real formula to how we wrote a japan write song you know like i would come up with the guitar chords and then you know, we'd come in, bring them to Dave, and he'd put the drums down, and then we'd get this kind of banging instrumental, and then I'd go back and write the the vocals over it, and they were always fast, and they always had a certain number of parts, and and um, you know, they had the verse and the chorus and the intro, and, and right. we just kind of got to a point where, you know, we were, I think, for a a long time, we were trying to figure out how to, like, really just how to write a song. You know, this is our first band, and when we started the band, we had basically no experience writing. You know, we, we started playing covers just to play together. Yeah. So, you you know, that's why a lot of our early songs have kind of weird song structures, is because it, it was, it, it we didn't really know what we were doing. We didn't, you know, and, and not that it's, not that there's rules to obey, you know, or something like that, but um, we were just kind of learning. And you there got to be a point like like I said on Celebration Rock where I think we just kind of all those years of working towards how to write a Japan write song we just kind of figured it out and we did that a bunch of times on you know most of the songs on Celebration Rock were written using the same kind of formula or something like that and um, and you know it turned out people really liked that uh, and, and really responded to that and so we just kind of you know we when we started writing this record there was obviously a lot of temptation to just do that again yeah. uh just just keep you know just keep trying to churn these kinds of songs out but it was really whenever we kind of 
jammed or, or talked about something that was different than that, something that was we hadn't done yet or was beyond that or just was kind of new. And, it, you know, that, those were the most exciting and kind of inspiring things. You know, it, you know, the first time we kind of hit upon this formula, it was really exciting. And so was the second time and the third time. But trying to do that again, you know, a few years later for the 10th or 12th time just didn't have the same level of, you know, excitement. And, and we realized that, that we'd kind of fallen into this formula and at that point that was kind of the only way we knew how to do it and it just kind of uh it seemed really exciting to us and to try and very purposely shake that up you know like do something else try try and write the songs in a different way and and our kabar is a perfect example of how we you know, we, we kind of looked at how do we write a song and what could we do differently? You know, what could we, how could we just, you know, shake this up? And um, uh, so that song, I wrote all the lyrics first, which was the first time we ever, you know, I had, we had to talk about this idea of like, I'm going to write some lyrics and the lyrics are going to stay the same and we're going to have to build a song around it some way, which is the total opposite of how we would traditionally write a, write a Japan write song. And um, yeah, and that's 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 kind of what we did. I, I remember I was we were in New Orleans and uh, I'd been working on these uh, these lyrics down in Mexico City, and um, I got to New Orleans and Dave and I were kind of in the first day or two we were there we were sort of like okay let's just throw everything we got out on the table and start kind of you know going through it. and I just kind of slapped the lyrics down on the table and was like here's a new song. I don't know how it goes. I don't have any idea how it goes, but we have to build some music around this. And Dave's looking at this going like, well, these are a lot of lyrics, you know, like, okay, like we'll, we'll start to tackle this. And it was sort of born out of that idea of, of just like, um, of, yeah, let's just shake things up. And, and that was really exciting for us. That's like, it reminded me a lot of when we were starting the band and we like just, kind of there's a there's a certain excitement when you feel like you don't really know what you're doing you know it's it's really fun and and when you I think there was a point where I if I was going to bring a certain kind of song to Dave and be like here's a new song I think that you know if I had certain guitar parts and I was like here's you know how it goes uh, you know he might be like okay that's cool you know I can do this you know put the you know, put the drums to this, and I know how the parts are supposed to change, and, you know, because he's so used to my playing, he's like, I got an idea of, like, what I'm going to do here, and what I'm going to do here, and how this is going to be cool, but, you know, slapping lyrics down the table and being like, we got to write a song that, you know, we got to turn this into a song, we got to find some music for this, uh, was just like, whoa, I, okay, uh, <laughs> you know, like, there's no, no predetermined tempo, no predetermined instrumentation, no predetermined anything, and, and um, yeah, it just kind of went off from there. So I mean, is it would it be fair to classify this as like the Japan Droids version of Stadium Rock, like this album? Like, because to me, it has that sort of breath to it. And I guess I I, I referenced like Who's Next before, and it kind of reminds me of that. Like a lot, especially the mid tempo songs, have a bigness to them, a scope to them. You know, Arc of Bar is sort of a the story song, but there's a, there's a journey to it. There's an arc to the story of the song. A lot of the songs have sort of journey aspects to them. There, there seems to be you sort mean of like, like the a, band journey. 
<laughs> I'm just joking. Right, right. Yeah, well, you know, uh, the soaring aspects of Steve Perry anyway. Yeah. But no, like, uh, there's an arc to the album. You kind of start in one place and you end in a very different place at the end. Hmm. I mean, did you feel that as you were putting this together? I mean, it. you know, like, I love stadium rock bands. Like, I love the Rolling Stones and, and you know, et cetera. So that, that type of... Um, you know, music that's made to be performed and enjoyed in a massive place like that is uh, is um, is kind of just part of my DNA in a way. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I didn't I didn't really see a lot of stadium shows growing up because I'm from a small town, so there was no stadium, let alone stadium uh, um, shows. But just that idea of like. Um, I think more the idea of what, um, you know, like there's a, the Rolling Stones, for example, are a very popular band and a lot of people know their music, so they play a stadium, but there's also something inherent about the music that's, that's just so, that just works in that environment, Uh, you know, like the, the, the songwriting and and things like that, like it just kind of, it, it works on that level somehow. And, um. And I'm a big fan of, 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 of lots of that kind of stuff. So it's sort of in my DNA. And I like to think in a way that we're, we've always kind of been a stadium rock band. You know, like I think that we, we never, it's not like Dave and I ever had a conversation about like when we started the band, like we want to be stadium rock and we want to play a stadium someday. That's obviously ridiculous. I mean, we're going to play First Avenue tonight and, and that for the first time and, and that would have seemed like a stadium to us when we when we started so um our ambition was to play like you know the local bar in vancouver uh but but i'd like to think that we we kind of always i just yeah we just always have been a stadium rock band you know it's like we've been we've been writing and performing in a way as if it was a stadium full of people even though a lot of the times there were only five people there well that's like my favorite kind of music or bands that play in a theater or a club but have that sort of bigness to them so you take the bigness and you like stuff it into this smaller space and it's just incredibly powerful so there's on this on this record there you know there's some uh i don't know like um there are some differences in songwriting and there's some differences in production that might uh you know might cause some people to say oh they've you know they're going from a lo-fi sort of thing to a stadium rock sort of thing but i mean really we're we were always doing the same thing The, the differences to us are much are much more uh sort of subtle in that way you know like i think that there's when I remember when we, you know, the first time we played Young Heart Spark Fire, way back in the day, I mean, we were have the same feeling that the first time we played, you know, Near to the Wild Heart of Life, like it just, I mean, the, 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 the sonic differences or the production differences or something like that, or, I mean, they're, in, in my mind, are, um, you know, I, I recognize them, but they're sort of like, uh, they're inconsequential in a way. It's like the song and the performance and the feeling. Like it was always sort of, it's always been there. Yeah. We're just trying to, we're just kind of, I think, uh, uh, you know, I mean, 
inching actually towards the stadium in a way. Yeah. So the first yeah. time we, you know, so. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but the name of my podcast is Celebration Rock. I do know that. So this might have to be the last episode, by the way, since <laughs> you guys are on. It's sort of like the scene in the movie that, like, everything's leading up to. So, yeah, I might, or else you might have to sue me for stealing the, the album title. Oh, no, no, I yeah. think it's a cool, I think it's a cool, uh, I think it's a cool uh, idea. And there's, you know, it, it's, we named the record sort of Celebration Rock, which is a very... Uh, you know, I thought it really accurately summed up the the feeling or the vibe of of that record. But we're also it's not like that's our genre, you know, like that <laughs> well, we that, that that we own or even rock and roll. There's, I think you could uh, see in a way though. I I feel like that record was did not create its own genre, but like I've I've described that record as like the Pulp Fiction of like 2010s rock, in that like you know. Tarantino, when he made that movie, he took all the elements of crime movies from the past that he loved that had turned into cliches, and he reinvigorated them and made them seem fresh and new and made people kind of reappreciate what they were. And I feel like that's what you guys have done with a lot of elements of rock music. You've kind of deconstructed it and reassembled it in a different way where you can be a stadium rock band even though you're two guys from Canada, hmm. you know, but you can... It's like I can you can listen to your records and you can hear elements of Springsteen and Guns N' Roses and the replacements, but you don't sound like any of those people. Mm. And I mean, there's really nothing you could say to that. I mean, that's something I'm hearing in the music. But I mean, like, do you feel like your band is a part of anything kind of like not a scene or a genre? But like, do you feel like your band has kind of led other bands in a certain direction? Like, do you hear your influence in other bands in the last couple of years? I mean, it's a it's a really hard question to answer because on the I, I actually think of it more, like I don't really think of ourselves as necessarily particularly um, influential. I mean, to some extent, I don't think I I, I wouldn't really know. You know, we've been yeah. kind of um, you know, Dave and I just sort of you know live in our own little world and we don't even live in the same in the same city anymore and and I feel very far removed just the last few years especially you know where I live and the life I have and and things I feel very far removed from um kind of you know we we haven't been on the road we haven't been interacting with other bands we haven't been keeping up on music as much we've been kind of just like doing our thing and and um I feel very far removed from I guess what what's kind of like really happening or what's really happened since we you know to to some extent when you when we when we were touring our last record for example you're you're um you're you're kind of very aware of what's happening musically because you to some extent you you feel a part of it you're you're on um you're you're playing shows every night you're at a lot of festivals you're constantly around music people you're when you're not playing you're going to see other bands you're just very totally immersed in in the whole thing and the last few years when we've been working on this record and we've kind of been off the road i feel like we kind of you know at least for me like you switch into like not a totally different life but certainly into some kind of other other uh other mode you know my my life uh my 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 life uh down in mexico um the last few years, I feel very far removed, not just from 
obviously from the United States, but even what's happening at home in, in, in Canada, you're just kind of just in a different world. And so it, it wasn't really until I think that we kind of finished our record and um, uh, started to kind of get back more in, in the sort of the scene, quote unquote, you know, publicly, uh, that you sort of became aware of some of these kind of, uh, some of these kind of, uh, I don't know, like, uh, comparisons that people were making and, and sort of think pieces, you know, (laughs) and things like that. So, uh, and, uh, I mean, the, the most amazing part of the whole thing was that, uh, it seemed like a lot of people in the time that we had kind of been, you know, working on this record and sort of in the shadows, uh, had kind of uh, discovered Celebration Rock or, or were still listening to it at the very least or something like that. We were, I was very, you know, it, it seemed to me that the best thing we ever did uh, promotion-wise was to disappear. Yeah. You know, I feel, like, I feel like Celebration Rock more happened, you know, more people found that record and connected to that record um, on their own without us than when we were really touring it. Um, and it's amazing how many people are, you know, are, you know, will say that's how much they love that record and how much it means to them, but they never seen us play, that they didn't discover it until, you know, two years ago yeah. when you're something like that. And I, so you, you slowly becoming aware of all these things, but I, I like to think that it's not really us specifically or our influence. I think about it more like collectively, there's a group of people that are all culling from the same influences and and um we're we were just doing it in this time and place and other bands are doing it in this time of place like there's a lot of great bands that people you know sort of have have lumped in with us or have said oh you guys influenced these bands and i when i list those bands i'm like no man it's not just us. They're just listening to the same bands that we listen to, yeah. that we were influenced by, and they're doing their version of it, like or they're building on it, or they're they're taking that music and and you know modernizing it, and uh, and um, so I actually think it it it's you know it traces back much further. Right. It goes back to like the same handful of bands that. Um, you know, it's like you know, and we're in Minneapolis, so we can't. We have to mention the replacements, obviously. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a band that I think continues to be influential to young bands um, on sort of like a generational scale. Like, like they, they, there's always seems like there's young people starting bands where that band is the one they want to sound like, right. or that they like really love a little bit more than, than their other favorite bands or something. And so, right. I mean, I, I think you can hear that band in countless other bands, you know, just like you can hear it in our band, right. uh, for example. Yeah, I mean, I think, to me, what separated you guys, it's not that you were the first to be influenced by that. In a way, I think you maybe reintroduced it to, to a new audience and did it in a way where because I feel like for a lot of indie bands around the because you guys brought your first record in 2009 Mm -hmm. at that time there weren't a whole lot of indie bands that were sort of invested in rock mythology Mm -hmm. or were drawing from that lineage you know it was a much there was a lot of sort of art indie bands that weren't a whole lot of sort of guitar punk you know that sort of lineage type thing and I feel like on your records it did sort of approach that template in a different way that also stayed true to that. Like, I, I feel like you guys were much more sort of willing to pay homage to that continuum mm. of rock and say that we're a part of this, 
in a way that I don't feel like a lot of other bands at the, at that time were, but I see more bands doing now, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand that. I, I feel like that's also a very, um, like, I think that people, there's, people sometimes forget that we're Canadian and we grew up in a, in a, you know, in, in the Canada and the States are, are very similar in, in many, many ways. But there's also a kind of, there's also some fundamental differences, I think, in, in the sense that, like, people, I think, in the U.S. are much more conscious of things like, uh, in the music world specifically, of, like, um, like their image and their presentation and um, the idea of, like, um, of like being talked about or written about or things like that. And I think that in, you know, a lot of our favorite bands that we were really influenced by, um, uh, not, not historically great bands, but like more modern bands that we were going to see and that we were listening to and stuff like that, um, we're sort of really free of that idea of, of like, um, of, of just being, um, like I guess of overthinking it or something like that, yeah. you know. Like our favorite, some of our our favorite bands that we used to go see were. I mean, they wore their influences on their sleeves with pride, and it wasn't like Constantine's. Constantine's is a great example, you know. Like I mean, when you listen to Constantine's, you can hear. I mean, you can hear. Um, you know, you can hear Neil Young, you can hear. Springsteen. You can also hear, I think, bands like uh, Fugazi, right? And, and and that and 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 in a very you know, and then you might go see them play, and they might cover um, Lou Reed or something like that. And it just wasn't like for that example specifically. It was cool to wear your influences on your sleeve, and it was cool to be influenced by classic rock. And it was cool to just, you know, make the music that, you know, make your version of the music you love. And so I think that that's about as far as or as much as we ever thought of it. You know, we were making our version of the music that we loved, you know, and we were wearing our influences on our sleeves, covering our the bands that we liked. And, and you know, just it just was – I think that's what we initially – always just thought being in a band really was yeah. you know it was just like you listen to this music that you love and then you go out and try and do your version of it and hopefully you find a kind of cool or unique way to expand or you know tweak you know that that sort of stuff you know you don't want to um you know but but that's like what being in a band is you know in some ways it's like the more it sounds if you're jamming on a bunch of stuff or working on songs it's like the more it sounds like something that you like the better it is you know right. like there would be moments where we would be like oh that sounds kind of like Constantine's that's cool we're gonna <laughs> let's, let's like work on that you know and 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 I think that that's just a very like uh um that was just a really natural uh kind of way for us to do things yeah so well and I also feel like again just by virtue of being two guys you know a guitar and drums I mean you sort of 
automatically sound like yourselves, even if you have something else in mind, like like you know the the, the title track from the record, which is the first song on the album. Especially like when you look at the lyrics, to me that's sort of like a Thunder Road type song. Like you know, like we're, you know, the, the guy in the song, he's in a small town, he's gonna you know pull out of this town of losers and he's gonna win. You know, but that song sounds nothing like Thunder Road. You know, mm. like I feel the spirit of that song, but it's, it's totally its own thing. And that's always my favorite kind of music that can evoke spirits, but at the same time it has its own character. It's like two things. It's it's like it's like a conversation almost that you're having with like between generations or something this was actually i i know what you mean and and this this record that we this new record that we made was i think this is really the first time for the band where we were doing anything where we were no longer specifically um i don't want to say not influenced by because that would be a lie but but like not trying to be like another band right like where i think in in you know, when you're learning to write songs and, and um, um, you, you know, it's like, it's just natural that you emulate what you like. And uh, you don't have your own voice yet. You don't have your own identity. You don't have your own sound. Your, your, your band is essentially, you know, emulating five or ten of your favorite bands, you know, kind of, kind of thrown together. Yeah. And this, this record, I think, was the first time where we, where we weren't, trying to sound like or emulate someone else we were really only trying to build off what we'd already done and see what we could do as a band you know this was the first record where there was no conversations like um uh you know this kind of sounds like this band or we should write a song that's um um you know, kind of sounds like uh, this one. It was a really, um, it was maybe, yeah, I think just the first time where we, we were, to, to some extent, yeah, I think you could say that this is like, it, it's like the first real, um, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say the first real Japan rights record in the sense that like, um, you know, we, we really just made it, uh, the two of us with like, our own thoughts and our own desires and our own abilities and our own ideas and and like our favorite bands were not really a part of the conversation yeah. whereas like in, in the in the in previous records it's always like not necessarily just in the songwriting but sometimes in the studio it could be like oh i want this guitar like more husker do guitar sound <laughs> or it could be like oh you know this part on this replacement song i want it to be more like that or like um or like uh, you know, when Nick Cave does this, I want it to be like that. You know, like where you're you're finally stop relating yourselves to 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 other to other uh, kind of artists. Now you you mentioned you know Springsteen and Thunder Road, and of course you know we both love Springsteen. He's one of our favorites of all time, and you're never really going to escape that yeah. influence because like Stadium Rockets in our DNA. You know, yeah. like I I don't need to be listening to Springsteen or to be thinking about Springsteen to be influenced by him when I just sit down and start playing guitar or thinking about lyrics, you know, it's very, uh, uh, at this point, I think it's very like, uh, subconscious, you know, yeah, right. or something like that. But I mean, is there a narrative to the record? I, I thought I saw in some press release that the, like said that like the, the first seven songs anyway, are like loosely related and then in a body like a grave is like a postscript in a way. Yeah, there, there is a narrative to the record. Now, not a planned narrative, not like, this is not a concept record, you know, like, uh, you it's know. It's not like 2112? 
or uh, what's that, American Idiot, <laughs> or something like that. You know, uh, it's it's it's. So there won't be like a Broadway musical version of this in like five years. I don't know how much we get paid for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, um, it's um, it it's a basically what happens is when you when we're working on a record, um, we've got a bunch of songs and. Uh, uh, this record, very specifically, I was trying to make every song um, about something, uh, kind of about something different. You know, like we, Celebration Rock, you know, uh, at that time, I was kind of feeling a lot of the, the same things and putting them in song after song after song. And there's a lot of the same feeling expressed in a slightly different way. Yeah. Uh, and and um, and that was where my head was at at the time, obviously. And, and sort of like looking we were, towards childhood kind of songs. I I mean, it just just kind of like narrowing everything you think about to kind of a really small chunk, and and kind of disregarding the rest. Yeah. And and we were very uh, conscious of that, and very conscious of the fact that we wanted to do something broader I guess or more like we, we use the word complete uh, we use the word complete in the sense that like I think a lot of really great rock and roll albums are are complete in the sense that they run the whole gamut of um, types of songs like in the sense of range of emotions you know like uh, it, it's really a journey from start to finish, you know, like, and, you know, I, I always talk about the same records, uh, um, but they're great records out there, like, some of our, Dave and I's favorites of all time, like, like, Horses by Patti Smith, like, that's a real journey that record takes you on start to finish, and, right. and, like, there's different kinds of songs, different tempos, different feelings, different emotions in it, you know, or, like, Born to Run is a great example of that, like, it just, um, or, like, um, you know, the, I don't know. There's just that's what great records usually do, you know. With the you know, there are great ACDC records and there are great Ramones records, yeah. and they don't do that. They take you on the you know. It's like, and and I love those bands and I love those kinds of records. But we were really interested, and that to some extent, a Celebration Rock is kind of like our ACDC or Ramones record. You know, right. it's like we figured out how to do something good that people like, and here's a whole album of it <laughs> on ten. Right. Um, and this record, we, we we just wanted to try and make one of those records that um, that wasn't necessarily for a specific time or place. You know, like I people people say things like, "Oh, I'm going on a road trip, I'm going to take Celebration Rock," or like, you know, "I'm going for a run or on my bike, and I'm going to take Celebration Rock," or "I'm having a party, and I'm going to take Celebration Rock." And that's that's like, uh, you know, that's great. And, and it's maybe is the perfect record for that kind of like place. But for me personally, you know, there's times where I'm just sitting in my house by myself listening to a record or I'm got the headphones on going for a long walk somewhere. And that's when those those kind of more, like I said, complete records, uh, that's like the time and place for those where like, yeah, there are some fast, intense songs, but there's also some slow, more serious or introspective songs or there's some like, you know, emotional you know variety or you know variation in the intensity and it just kind of goes up and down and up and down and when you're done you really feel like you uh like you've 
this, this person has expressed like the full range of emotions that they're feeling to you. Right. You know, some are dark, some are sad, but some are up there, some are some are happy, and some are in between, and and that's just kind of what we wanted to do. So we put a lot of effort. I put a lot of effort into trying to make lyrically each song have its own identity. Like like if I if I said something with one kind of feeling in one song, that was it. You know, and try right. and move on and do something else. And that that opened up a whole you know, there's there's um there's not a lot of you know, Japandroid songs traditionally are full of a lot of hope, a lot of optimism, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of um the most positive aspects of life and the situations that we all kind of find ourselves in. But there's a lot more to life than just all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we 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 live that stuff too, just like everybody else. I you know, I, I'd hate to think that people are under the impression that kind of like we live celebration rock style songs, you know, twenty four seven, three hundred and sixty five days a year, like nothing bad ever happens to us. We never feel doubt or anxiety or sadness or something or darkness or anything like that or yeah. we don't have any problems in our life. It's just a twenty four hour kegger or something like that. <laughs> which it is very much not. Um and uh, so, yeah, just trying to like, um, so anyway, sorry, this is a long, rambling no. answer to your question. But so when you, when you come time to putting the record together, you've got, uh, the, you've got all these different songs and each one kind of has its, its own, its own uh, theme, its own uh, vibe. And, and, um, and then, you know, of course, putting a record together means some songs when you record them don't come out the way you want and end up getting left off some songs when you're in the mixing phase come out better than others and it's really not until you're in the mixing phase when you're almost done the record that you've settled on okay here's the songs that are actually going to make the the cut and we're going to put the record together and then we took those songs and just tried to um you know put them together in a way that thematically they made not tell a story per se because they're not that closely related you know one you know i didn't sit down and write them in order specifically for this but but just try to get like do they you know like the first song on the record is about you know it's just about leaving for something else and that could be leaving your home that could be leaving a job that could be leaving a relationship anything that you feel like you're you know when you that feeling that everybody has where there's there might be more to life than what I'm doing and I have to make a hard decision and blah 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 and, and you know in this case it was leaving home and then the next song is about what happens when you do leave home it's called northeast southwest you know like it would be insane to have the songs in the reverse order right you know it would make make no sense if Northeast Southwest was before near the Wild Heart. Right. You know, one's about this and one's about this, and so we just kind of had that conversation, like how do they go in, and we and piecing them together, and and um, trying to put the last few years of our lives on a record in an order that's like here's the story. It's like everyone's wondering where have you been, what have you been doing, like what's going on with you, yeah. and it's like here it really is in order. Uh, and um, with the full range of emotions and thoughts and feelings and all that that we've been having. And, uh, and that goes right through to the second to last song. And then as you were mentioning probably 10 or 15 minutes ago now, you know, In a Body Like a Grave is, is something else. That was, 
that's kind of like the story's not the story but the you know that's where the the journey kind of ends and i feel like that's kind of like a summary of the of the whole thing yeah in a way like it's sort of your this was my journey very specifically on the record but everyone's got their own journey and this is kind of the the kind of um uh like the way of sort of summing up not that the journey's over, but just that, you know, um, the journey's ongoing. Yeah. And everyone's got their own. But at the end of the day, all the journeys that everybody has, as individual as they might be, all include the same types of shit. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, worried about something. Everyone's anxious about something. Everyone fears something. Everyone doubts themselves in certain ways. Everyone is dissatisfied with something in their life. Everyone is very satisfied with something else. And everyone's just trying to, like, generally with their lives, you know, they're not they're not trying to fix everything and have the perfect life. They're just trying to trend in the right direction. Right. You know, it's like year after year, I just hope I'm you know, I want to trend towards something that I'm I know I'm never really gonna find. Right. Uh but but I just wanna be trending in that way. Well it, so it's so funny how these things end up you know, timing out perfectly because <laughs> I feel like I was waiting for this record for a really long time and yet I feel like, I feel like it came out exactly the right time because and this is sort of my myopic american point of view but it came out the week after trump was inaugurated mm. and a lot of the things you were talking about just now like i'm glad that there's a record that tells me these things at this moment in time like in a body like a grave has been a big song for me in that regard the song about like you know the the, the idea of like in the hellest of holes you can still find something good you know it's like I kind of need to hear that right now, you know, and uh, I mean, obviously you can't plan for something like that to happen, but it's got to be pretty amazing. It's obviously, you wish Trump wasn't elected, you don't want that to happen, well, but there is a resonance that, that happens that you can't ever plan for. Yeah, this is something that we became aware of recently that's very specific to our American audience, obviously. I mean, we, um, to set the record straight for all your listeners, uh, you know, we are Canadian. We have our own government, right, our own right. leader, exactly. and our own problems. And as much as, you know, as, as close to we are as the U.S. Well, you live and in how, Mexico, too, so uh, you, you see both sides. I, I, I do, and, and, and we have, in Mexico, we have our own government and our own leader as well. And our lots and lots of problems. So there's, as influential as, as the U.S. is, there's, you know, it's, um, I want to I wanna be as... Uh, delicate as I can, not say the the wrong. Because like thing I know here, you didn't. I, I know it, you're it, not influenced by it. I'm just saying well, that as a listener, it kind yeah, of had this this resonance to me when I heard the record. It's been a, I think, and it's had both that for I feel like for some people, and the opposite for some people as well. I think we were really unaware. You know, for everyone who's listening, we we wrote and recorded this record before Trump even announced he was running for for president. So, in some ways, you know the fact that you were releasing a record or, you know, we were in, we announced our record, I guess, um, kind of around election time. And, um, and of course it came out very close to when, to when Trump was inaugurated, things that we couldn't have possibly foreseen. Um, uh, you know, the, the year and a half before when we were working on this record. Or are you Nostradamus? Are we? (laughs) Well, I actually, I think, I think if I, memory serves me correctly, I feel like the Republican primary was going on when we were recording. Okay. Because I think I remember being in the studio with Jesse Gander, and there was this like, you know, 
topic of like of like look at all these guys on the stage it's like there it's like you know Donald Trump and Ted Cruz and whoever the hell else is up there and you're just like man it's like this is uh some this is some uh is this a PG-13 podcast? Oh, no. This is some fucked up shit, basically. <laughs> and uh, so, so our record was done, like, like long before even the whole kind of, like, the Trump versus Clinton kind of, like, campaigns started and everything. So there, I think we, for a long time, well, of course, we don't really think about it in, as it relates to our music, but um, as it became, you know, as things got closer to the release, and then, of course, Trump was elected, and... And, uh, you know, we we didn't realize until very close to, we were so busy with so much shit going on and we'd been playing shows and traveling and doing this and this. It didn't really occur to us until very close to the inauguration that our record was actually coming out around that time. And that, that not in the rest of the world, but certainly in America, that, you know, there was going to be a... Uh, like a a national mood i suppose you could call it with with so many people that that listen to the music that would be um i mean people would just be uh very down very sad very unsure of of the future very you know all all these sort of things and that the record uh you know the way that the record was perceived with some of those fans because of that you know, mood uh, was uh, something we just we didn't really realize until until the moment. You know, it's it's uh you know when when people in uh, people in Australia, people in Europe, and people at home in Canada, or people in Asia, like that was that was not a factor in the listening experience. But in America, it was very much was and 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 very loudly. Like we we we, we knew about it, and um, it, you know. I'd like to think at, uh, you know, for me, uh, my whole life, music has been something that really, that's like what I would turn to, you know, in moments of darkness or moments of doubt or, or like, you know, the, the times in my life where I've been like so personally down and, and just needing something. Music is like what I naturally turn to. And it seemed like, uh, you know, that you know, obviously you hope that your record could be like that for somebody else. Yeah. But conversely, you realize there were other people who were like, um, you know, felt very much the opposite. They're like, this is not the time for Japan Wright's record about living life and loving someone and growing up and trying to figure all this out. I mean, maybe they need to, you know, and fair enough, there's, uh, you know, maybe they need public enemy or something like that, which <laughs> we all do at different points. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was definitely a very weird uh, time. Of course, we spend so much time in, in the U.S. I love America. I love touring here. Love traveling here. I love our American fans. I love the cities. Like it's one of my favorite places in the world to to tour. I never get tired of it. And so it like uh, it was a it was a um, uh, yeah. It's been a weird time. Yeah. You know, like this is our first tour in in. Uh, in, in Trump's America, and uh, it's been very obvious the like the shifting of the the moods and and uh, just the general vibe, the places we go, and and uh, um, and as much as I'd like to think that the music is uh, you know 
the one thing that can, you know, help, you know, help free your mind from this kind of thing or inspire you beyond these things or it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big thing to fight against. I mean, I, I would argue it's hugely necessary. You need to be able to go to a space with strangers and feel community. You know, and uh, I, I think I think you're providing a public service. So I'm looking forward to seeing a rock show tonight. Oh, well, I think it's gonna be great. Yeah, it should be really. It's gonna be really fun. We've been, uh, um, we played the small room Seventh Street Entry here in yeah. Minneapolis like many many times, yeah. and uh, you know it's a uh, given the history of this venue and the bands that have played here, and uh, I mean you can't help but. You know, it's a little bit of a rock and roll dream to, oh, to, yeah. to play the big room for the first time. So I'm really looking forward to it. Well, Brian, thank you so much for giving me time. I'm going to let you rest here before the show. All right. And, uh, but, and thanks for the, uh, the podcast name. Oh, it's, it's my, my pleasure. Thanks for, uh, <laughs> thanks for naming the podcast that. And I hope you have uh, a lot of, uh, I think I'll be a lot of success with it. A lot of great bands on. So. Yeah. All right. Well, Brian, take care, man. Thanks. Yeah, you too. Thank All you. Right. All right, that was Brian King of Japan Droids. Near to the Wild Heart of Life is out right now if you have not heard it. Number one, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast if you haven't heard that record, but if you haven't heard it, at the end of this podcast, go to your streaming channel of choice and punch that record up. It is uh, truly one of the great records of early 2017. Um, I want to give a shout out one more time to our friends at Harry's. This week's sponsor, again, Great Razor, and they're offering a great deal. You get a trial set of their razors for, for virtually nothing. You, you get the razors for free, and you just have to pay a small shipping fee. And again, just go to harrys.com backslash rock, and uh, it'll be a great way to support the podcast. They will know that you are listening, and they will hopefully want to keep on sponsoring us in the future. Um Speaking of supporting the podcast, you know, again, you know, I've been hearing from a lot of people, uh, you know, who missed the podcast. You know, we were gone for about five months, and uh, you know, when I announced that we were coming back, there was a lot of excitement on Twitter. And I just want to say that that means a lot to me. It means a lot to me that you didn't forget about us um, and that you're that you're listening now. Um, I know there's a lot of podcasts out there, uh, and there's not a lot of time. So thank you so much for listening to us, and. Uh, if you like the podcast, uh, I would love it if you could help us spread the word. You know, tell a friend about us, talk about us on social media, uh, leave us a review on iTunes. All of these things are really helpful for us. Even if you don't like the podcast, tell your friends about it. Let them make up their own minds. Don't dictate to people what to think, man. Let them make up their own minds. Let the people decide. Uh, <laughs> at any rate, guys, thank you so much. It was so fun being back. We're going to be doing a lot of cool things. Uh, here in the weeks ahead and uh, I'm so glad that you guys are here with us so uh, we will see you again here at Celebration Rock next week